Hello and welcome to the Legends of Tabletop podcast. I think this is episode 190 and I have with me Dr. Jim Davies. How are you doing, sir? Hi, glad to be on the show. Hey, everybody. Thank you for coming on. Um, for those unfamiliar, and we have a couple of viewers already, uh, why don't you uh, give us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'm Jim Davies. Today I'm a game designer. Uh, my uh, day job is a cognitive scientist. I'm a professor at Carleton University up in Ottawa. But for the last several years, I've been working on this uh, fantasy world and writing fiction in it. And um, this is my first role-playing game in it. And I'm working on a second. Um, and it's a, a animal urban fantasy game. Sweet. And we'll be talking quite a bit about that. But how did you wind up in the field that you're in? Uh, what, 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 you know, sort of prompted you to head in that direction? Well, cognitive science... Um, is wasn't super, it's not super well known still, but uh, it definitely wasn't super well known when I was uh, in college back in uh, early 90s. And uh, I was taking classes in philosophy and psychology, and my major was philosophy and computer science. I love computer science. And uh, I was talking to the chair of my department, and he asked me if I'd ever heard of cognitive science. And he, I hadn't. He lent me a book, and I went home and read it. And I don't remember what the book was actually, but uh, <laughs> it had a profound effect on me. And I had one semester to prepare for my future because I was already in, well into my uh, the first semester of my senior year. So I had um, got an independent study and everything and and uh, and just tried to tried to catch up and uh, follow my career from there. That's how I got into it. Nice. Now, do you, I thought I saw in, on, on one of your various uh, postings, blog stuff and everything. Um, do, do you do work with AI as well? Yeah. So my PhD is actually in computer science, specializing in artificial intelligence uh, from the Georgia Institute of Technology. So I do artificial intelligence that's modeling human thought. And I, I focus on imagination. So getting computers to imagine visual scenes the same way people do. So we make computer models of how people imagine scenes and dream and that kind of thing. And we uh, run the computer programs and see if it looks anything like human imagination. <laughs> Interesting. You know, this is how we get Skynet, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, I actually think a lot about um, AI ethics too. And, uh, you know, maybe it's a... Uh, Maybe I read too much science fiction, but it seems to me that people who aren't worried about AI don't read enough science fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I do. I've actually done some work on um, AI ethics and uh, concerned with you know that kind of thing. Nice. Did Did you see? I don't know if the report came out today, but I, I saw something on the news today about uh, the the self replicating uh, organic robots. Uh, I, I haven't read just... the articles. I saw the headlines, but yeah, that's kind of neat. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and you know, one thing that people misunder they they underestimate is how devastating unintelligent things can be, right? Like viruses are stupid; they're barely alive, but they can trash the world, right? And so, you know, we can have very uh, problematic artificial intelligence that's not that smart. I, you know, there are there are instances where the smarts would actually make it uh, less dangerous. You know, so it's a uh, it's a complicated issue. Yeah, but. I talking about viruses i mean this is a, a topic for for everybody i guess at this point how are things in your area uh as far as covid stuff are you teaching in person are you doing uh online classes what, what's your situation been like so i teach the only thing i do is teach a huge class so i teach 1300 students every semester in an introductory course in cognitive science and traditionally i taught 300 students in the classroom and then the uh university had this wonderful uh, video production 
company basically in the in the university they would edit it together and like meet at the slides and picture and picture and whatever and release it a few days later to the thousand video students uh but after COVID hit uh i was one of the lucky ones i actually had all my old videos that i could i could use uh instead of teaching in person so uh that's what that's what i've been doing lately so it's it hasn't been bad but this winter uh starting january i'm going to be back in the classroom and re-recording because science changes you can't yeah Use two, you can't use videos year after year without, you know, in science. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so that you were saying this is your, your first game that you're, that you're developing. How did you wind up uh, meeting Alan? Do you guys go back a little ways or? No, we, no, we don't. Uh, and it's not the first game I've developed. I, I was uh, making fantasy heartbreakers in the eighties, just like many people. Uh, I, this is the first game uh, worthy of trying to publish. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I have, I'm, I'm sort of seasoned designer in the sense of I've made a lot of bad games. Um, Get them uh, out of your system. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> playing them and just being, yeah, you know, maybe this isn't doing what it's doing. Um, but uh, my, uh, I like to play role-playing games with my wife, but my wife is uh, uh, low tolerance for complexity and crunch. So, um, you know, it was even like, even fate is too, too much. Like she's just not interested in, in figuring it all out and trying to remember everything. Uh, and so, you know, we were trying to lean toward the simpler games and, um, we were watching the rescuers down under and I, and I, and we, she, we love the movie. And, uh, I said, would you, would you like to play a game where you played mice saving children? She said, Oh yeah. And I, that, you know, that, that's what started the whole thing. Like wanting to make a game that my wife would want to play. Uh, and it's a little, it's got rescuers vibes for sure. Um, I actually pitched it to Disney to make a cartoon out of it, but uh, hmm. they plan on doing other things with the rescuers. So they turned down my mouse property. Sure. Crazy. Turning down yeah, my Disney. mouse property. Disney doesn't <laughs> want my mice. They don't, <laughs> they don't have enough mice of their own. So um, uh, yeah, I made the game and I uh, uh, made it so that it was simple. And, um, and, and from there it grew into like fiction and, um, you know, I'm, you know, trying to pitch television shows and, and other things based on the, based on the world. And then, and then I got another game in progress that's based on, um, a more complex version with, with a full spell thing for wizard birds. So, right. right. But it's in the same world. The mice are there and everything. Okay. And how long, how long would you say you, you were working on the game before you got it to the point where you're like, all right, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. A couple of years couple, couple of years. years and yeah. I, I took it to metatopia which is a fa fabulous uh, role-playing game design conference and play tested it there and talked to a lot of people and uh i i met alan through contact there so i, I made a bunch of contacts in game companies like magpie games and uh um galileo games and uh uh they ultimately passed on the game but um mark diaz truman who runs uh magpie uh, sent it to a couple of people who thought might be interested. And one of them was Alan and Alan uh, uh, took to it right away. He really liked it and believed in it. And, uh, and so, you know, we got this great illustrator and uh, you know, and, uh, and now it's kickstarted and funded. I'm happy to say. Yeah. Yeah. Fully funded. So that, that's great. And you're, you're getting close to that first stretch goal, getting the, the, the hardcovers out. Oh, I'd love to see an hardcover. I would love to see it in hardcover. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we uh, I think there's about nine days left, right? So it's it's within yeah, reach. It is within reach, just like seven hundred dollars away. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's cool. Um, 
uh, all right, I have to go back and edit. Um, so you, you started the the serialized fiction with uh, Eve Pixie Drowner, which is a baller name because the Fae are super tough, right? I mean, if yep. you can drown a pixie, then that's, you know, kudos. Um, so that <laughs> her story started after you began uh, developing the game and sort of delving into that that world. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, I like writing fiction for role-playing games because it helps me come up with ideas and, and, and eliminate bad ideas, right? But one day I just got inspired to write a short story um, about... Um, a mouse getting introduced. So let's give a little background of the game. The game you play mice, like heroic mice, who work with an organization called the Mycenaean Council. And their job is, it's in a modern contemporary urban fantasy setting where magic is hidden. Nobody knows it's there. A little bit like the world of darkness with smart animals. And, uh, and the Mycenaean Council's mandate is to save children from demons and fairies and other little nasties. Um, so I... Uh, wanted to write a story about a mouse who started off in the wild and only heard about the Mycenaean Council. And in trying to help one of the children in, an, in her campsite where she was, for, uh, you know, scrounging for crumbs, uh, protected the child from a pixie and was seen by a chickadee who flies off and tells the Mycenaean Council there's this hotshot mouse out in the Quebec woods and um, they recruit her. So it's, it's an opportunity to introduce the audience to the, <clears throat> the world of the Mycenaean Council through her eyes. And I wrote it kind of in a fever uh, uh, session flying to Oklahoma on the airplane. I just, I wrote this story till my hand cramped. And then I sent it to, uh, I submitted it to Altered Reality Magazine, who publishes the serial. And she uh, liked it so much. It's just a short story. She liked it so much. She said, I, I love it. Do you want to make it into a serial? And that was years ago. And it's been running for years now. Nice. Very cool. We got a comment here from Kevin. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. nice thanks kevin <laughs> so does does eve appear in the game anywhere i didn't notice when i went through the document but does she no, no, show no. up it, as an npc uh so the uh the mycene council is a organization that has chapters in all the major cities but it's not a, a huge like top down it's not like the vatican or something it's True. you know <laughs> it's not like the catholicism so Eve is a persona who might who's in Ottawa, but I, I expect players are going to play in their home city. Sure. That's the idea. So it's fun to have um, to layer onto the city you know or the town you know a supernatural bent that everyone's ignorant of. Um, and uh, so I don't really go into particular personas. I just say at every council headquarters there's somebody in charge, and there are some bird wizards around. And this is what and I want people to create their own little their own little city. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I, and I, I love the Mycenaean Council. Like, I, you know, when I was going through it, I was, oh, that's, that's so cool. <laughs> like, it's just, <laughs> just a clever, right? It's just, it's really neat. I, I, I like that. The name of it or the... the yeah. Or, oh, the, yeah, the right. Yeah, yeah, so so those of you who don't words. get the reference, it's it's a bit of a a, a joke on the, the Council of Nicaea, which was the uh, early Christian um, group that I think settled some disparate facts in a branch uh, ever branching Christianity at the time. But yeah, I thought it was funny. Yeah. I, I try to put a lot of puns in the, uh, I, I have this idea. I like puns, but I have this idea that animals like puns. So um, the, uh, the fairy and monster relocation lobby is a, uh, an organization of animals that don't like spirits being trapped in acorns forever. They think it's cruel and unusual solitary confinement, but the, uh, that's, that's FMRL, which sounds like ephemeral. So I like to try to put these uh, uh, little 
pun things in there to keep it light. It's it's horror, but it's 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 whimsical horror, and it's 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 sort of lighthearted, cute horror. So I try to put in, you know, little bits of humor and stuff. Sure, sure. Now, have you? I mean, it's, so it's urban fantasy. Have you ever re- ever read any Charles Delint, another another Canadian? I, I've met Charles Delint. I actually haven't read his stuff, but I, oh. I, I, I I've seen him at conferences and stuff, like uh, fiction conferences and this kind of thing. Yeah, I, I met him here. He was down for a Tucson uh, Tucson book fair uh, one year, so I was like, I, I'm going to do that. Like that's that's the whole thing. Oh so, yeah, are you a fan? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The, that whole most of that shelf over there is all. Is oh, all he's prolific. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> Yeah, he's but he he does urban fantasy. So I just oh, I wondered if there oh, was you know yeah, any yeah. sort of connection if you had read any of his. You know. My urban fantasy exposure is mostly in role playing games, actually. Mm, okay. So big so, big into World of Darkness and you know uh, urban shadows and uh, these other things. Sure, sure, sure. So so speaking of games, then what, what was the the first thing that that sort of got you into role playing? Did you start with Redbox or did you come in at some other point? uh ad and d first edition yeah yeah so um got my still have my fiend folio from the 80s and stuff nice you know i i uh i uh played ad my cousin introduced me to it my uh, a cousin a few years older than me and he unfortunately died when he was 19 in a car accident oh. but he got this many many years 30 years ago um but he um he got me into it and I played and, and, and I think my friends and I just immediately started hacking it and yeah. making our own <laughs> games. And uh, I remember going to Gen Con and trying to sell my fantasy heartbreaker game to uh, Eric Wujic from Palladium and, uh, uh, you know, learned a lot from him. Just, just like telling us why our game was not publishable. I was in high school, like, uh, uh, you know, trying to trying to pitch a game at Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always been like hatching schemes and trying to you know get stuff out there. <clears throat> so I got into it through it uh, through uh, AD and D um, and uh, and then played a little White Wolf and sort of left left it for a bit. I mean, grad school is a little bit all consuming sometimes, but um, and now I, I like to play a lot of my own games. I make up my own role playing games and play those. Yeah, yeah. Aside from your own stuff, is is there anything that is like on a favorites list? Anything that you uh, look forward to playing? Anything new that's come out? Have you tried Aliens or anything like that? Um, uh, I, yeah, there are lots of games that I would love to play. I want. I've never played Numenera. I've never. Um, I want to play. Uh, I want to play the new Vampire uh, Masquerade. Um, I want to play, I played Little Eclipse phase, but I want to play more of that. So I like games with big, rich worlds, right? right. And, and I like exploring worlds and that's something that really turns me on, right? So um, I think dun- games like Dungeon World are very interesting, but it, the game is designed, you can play it like exploring a world, but it's sort of like, hey, it's more like an improv game. Like players add things, you add things, we'll see what happens. To me, that's not very interesting because it's, I, I like the idea that there's something to discover that's been thought out and designed by somebody with revelations to figure out and this kind of thing. And uh, I love that kind of cleverness. So so really rich backgrounds like World of Darkness and Numenera, I find very attractive. But of course, there are a ton of work to get into. You know, I'm, I'm like, uh, you just have to do so much. Work. Oh, uh, Simbarum. I want to, you know, I want to yeah. do Simbarum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Right. So the games I most want to do are the most work to get into. So I'm sort of hoping other people in my game group do all the reading and uh, offer to game master it. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd probably like aliens in the the lore. I mean, just the lore section of the book alone is is it, really it's worth okay. picking it up just for that. It's, no kidding. Yeah, they they freely just did a, a fantastic job. But uh, Andrew Gaska, I get you know wrote the book, so uh, all the lore stuff for the book. So just really good. Really, really fun. I mean, we're worth it just as a reference. Okay, well, I guess I'll have to put that on my list. <laughs> I'm, addi- I'm I'm like addicted to uh, drive-through RPGs. Game of the day. I've you know I've got so many games. You know, <laughs> PDFs coming out my ears. <laughs> so, your your game um, uh, tales. Oh my god, let me let me pull up the thing. I have to edit the things that go somewhere. squeak in the night. Things that go squeak in the night. I didn't want to screw it up. <laughs> Um, so it, it's a little bit like an apocalypse world game, right? In that you have moves, um, you know, you're getting to choose certain moves. You want to give us a, a little bit of a mechanical? Yeah, yeah. So, so um, I like to think that I improved a little bit on the apocalypse world. <laughs> <laughs> apocalypse world is is interesting. Uh, what's interesting is that you use two d six, which gives you a nice normal distribution, but you don't use the normal distribution because you just you like if it's in this bin you get this if it's in this bin i thought it would be a little bit easier so what you do is you roll four dice and if you get a bonus you get five dice uh, if you get help you get another die it's a die pool but instead of adding up the dice you count successes all the d- you roll d6 and fives or sixes are successes or points i call them and the more and you, the number of points you get are the number of perks you get in a move so Rather than saying, if you roll 12 or over, you get three, like why not have the die roll tell you what the number is, you know? So that's what Mm -hmm. I tried to do. The number of points you get equals the number of perks. Um, I don't even know if if, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games have a name for that pick list or the what's what are in it. It desperately needs a name. Just I'm putting it out there. I think they should be called perks. (laughs) That's what I call them (laughs) in my game. So you might, uh, let's just say, let me look at the character sheet. Like the game is simple enough that like all you need to play is on the character sheet, everything you need. So um, let's say stealth. There are four perks. You roll, let's say, let's say you're, you're sneaky. Um, you're a scout or something. You're sneaky. You get five dice, right? You roll five D six. Let's say you get two perks, right? Um, the perks on the list are, I suffer no cost. I'm not heard. I'm not seen. I'm not smelled. Smelled is important in a game where there are a lot of animals. Um, And so what you can do is you can, you just pick which ones they are. And then you and the game master narrate how the scene plays out based on your role. So it's a, it is, it is inspired by uh, powered by the apocalypse for sure. I played apocalypse world. That was, I played the original apocalypse world with uh, friends and found it very interesting, Uh, but added a dice pool system to it uh, rather than adding dice with uh, plus one, two, three or whatever. And I think it's interesting because it, it, you know, it puts it on the player to decide, you know, what your fate is going to be because, you know, in combat, one of your moves is Mm -hmm. I, you know, I suffer no harm, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to take that one. And, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, what the player dynamic is, you know, do they choose all what's more important to, you know, to defeat this enemy and not be heard. And, you know, I sprain my wrist, I break an arm, I, you know, right whatever it is right like it 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 forces that on the player right so the combat the the combat is very uncrunchy so if you're really into um 
you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons style or like Warhammer miniatures, this kind of thing. This game is not, uh, it's not made for that. Um, for the, the combat move, for example, one of the perks is my enemy is defeated. So it's very common to win an entire battle with one roll. Okay. Mm -hmm. But like John was saying, you have, I suffer no cost as one perk. You have my enemies defeated as another perk. So if you, if you only get one point, <laughs> are you, so either I, I'll pick, I suffer no cost, and then I'll have to try to roll again, or I, my enemy is defeated, but I, I'm going to have to suffer cost. But yeah, the cost is undefined. And you, so what I'll say to a player is, oh, like, let's say they've got a cat that's been uh, possessed by a demon and they're fighting the cat with a, with a, um, a screw hook. So uh, they roll and let's say they 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 take my opponent and is defeated, uh, but they can't pick I suffer no cost because they don't have enough perks. I say, well, what happens? Had, tell me how your mouse kills a cat, a demonic cat with just a screw hook, and what you know what happens to you? And you know, it's it's really lovely because a lot of games don't really encourage that, you know, especially and I think that the crunchier games like uh, like Dungeons Dragons or Shadowrun or something. It kind of because the combat is so back and forth so many times, it's almost tedious to come up with. Well, now I swing my sword this way, and I, you know, yeah. but with this, it's like I really like make it like a movie. Like, how does it? What happens? You say, oh, I, well, I jump on the back of the cat, and it squeals around and throws me, and I jump back on, and I stab it through the head, and you know, uh, and I and I uh, I lose my screw hook down the drain. That's my cost, so I don't have my weapon anymore. But the cat, you know, uh, is killed and and vanishes in a proof of of green mist right that's great you know everybody's like all happy at the table and everything and yeah it was only one roll or maybe it was like two rolls but what are we here for right you know i i'm here to to have you live in like a secret nim kind of rescuers with supernatural story uh and i like to encourage that kind of like playful narrative and kids are great at it oh yeah, yeah for kids sure. kids take to it right yep. away you know you t you ask it like a, a seven-year-old kid you know how can a mouse with some dental floss kill a wild boar <laughs> they'll come up with something <laughs> it'll probably be awesome <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah it, it, it's a really neat system it reminds me a little bit of mouse guard in that you know you have mm -hmm. one you know sort of active role and everyone else is you know sort of helping to participate in whatever you know whatever that kind of role is um which is in you know, you know some, obviously some different influences, which which I like it. You know, it's it's narrative based. You know, for the most part, you know, it's you got more a narrative storytelling bent to it. Like I said, it's not quite as mechanical. It's not quite as crunchy. Uh, you know, so yeah, the it's actually quite crunchy. I mean, I, I think you know, it's it's and it's neat. It's really neat taking positions and everything. Um, I think I should talk a little bit about Mouse Car just because. It's, I think it's the first thing that many people think of. But Mouse Guard, the world itself, the world of Mouse Guard, I think only mice, weasels, and like one other animal are sentient, and all the others are just like animals in our world. So in my game, they're all all animals that are bigger than a bug are are as intelligent as humans. Mouse Guard doesn't really have magic in it, I don't think. And there's I it's a world remember. it's a world without humans. So right there, we have a huge difference here. You're playing mice who are like living in the the city hall of your of your city, you know, and they have to sneak onto buses and and uh, you know, and then we've got these like wisecracking fairies and and demons that are little tiny creatures uh, that are you know terrorizing human kids, right? So you can have mouse guard kind of things, especially if you're traveling across the wilderness, um, but you're dealing with a bunch of intelligent animals, you know, and uh, and it's a world with humans that you're trying to stay secret from too. That's also a fun part of the game. <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's really neat. I'm 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 really uh, I'm really digging how smooth 
uh, everything, you know, everything seems to play out and, and it's, and it's pick up and play. Like it's, it's low bar, uh, it's low prep, you know, you can, you know, get everything going in, in like about a half an hour adventures take, you know, you know, according to the book, like an hour and a half, maybe two hours, um, you know, pretty, and, and obviously you can do more complex adventures, but, um, you know, it's, you know, designed to be sort of a, you know, pick up and play, you know, one shot style of, of game. Yes. And I offer, um, like a lot of tables to help you make an adventure. So the idea is that you could make an adventure for this in, uh, half an hour, you know, and I don't know if, um, can, can the people seeing this, I know people seeing it live will be able to see what's in the chat, but will people later be able to see? Uh, it'll on YouTube. Sure. Yep. Uh, Oh, I don't, I don't seem to be able to chat. Uh, Oh, you only have the private chat. If you have something, I can throw it on screen share. If you want to share a screen. Uh, no, that's okay. It's just that, that, uh, it is, it's linked to the Kickstarter, but there's a, a web, a website that has procedural generation of, of adventures. So I did a little programming and made, uh, so you can actually just reload the web page over and over again to get a brand new adventure for the mice to go through. So yeah, nice. it's intended to be a pick up and play. I think we have a question. We do have a question. I will throw it up on the screen from Nicole. Nicole Lafleur, I have a question for those who are not usual gamers but love board games. Is it going to be easy to learn to play as a family? Um, so if you've played role playing, if anyone in the family has played role playing games before, it should be pretty easy. Um, and but uh, if you haven't ever played a role playing game before. Um, you might want to watch one on YouTube <laughs> just to get a feel for what it's like. But but if you know the basics of how the back and forth goes, uh, yeah, it's an easy game. I mean, the rules that that we described in this uh, in this uh, just John and I were just talking about are pretty much the whole the rules of the whole game. I mean, there's really not much more to it. Most of the book is uh, how to, how those rules interact in certain situations with examples adventure generation and world building right so i talk a lot about the world so it's a magical world but only birds and humans can be wizards and you know what are the different what's the fairy realm what's the demon realm and and stuff that you can sort of take or leave you can make it your own if you want uh but a lot of the book is uh, that extra color and stuff uh, because the rule set is is kind of simple i mean we didn't really say quick start par partially because if you have the character sheet, you almost have the game. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, that's all I have. That's like all I have out. You know, when I'm game mastering, I have the character sheet in front of me and my notes for the adventure. And that's all, that's all I need. <clears throat> right. And, and, and we should say then, so, you know, you have four up to four players. Um, each player uh, is going to have to play a separate, uh, separate class. We've so got a, a warrior and a, a shaman uh, uh diplomat diplomat and scout yeah and a scout um so they each you know fulfill a different role mm -hmm. um, you know for things that are simple if mouse wants to jump up on a chair or you know scurry up a tree or whatever there's not even any rolling involved right you're just collaboratively telling a story about you know what your mice are doing uh, right. but then when you come to a critical point where there's <laughs> you know, I forget what terminology you use in the book, but you know, when, when you're at the point where you want to do something difficult, um, yeah. then you're going to roll four D six, you know, fives and sixes are going to, uh, be successes. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be able to choose from a list of moves, uh, that, that the, the mouse is able to do depending on what the circumstances, uh, if it's combat, you know, it'll be combat related. If it's, 
you know, scout trying to sneak. It'll be sneak related. Mm -hmm. So it's it's all pretty simple. It's all pretty straightforward. But you know, as as Jim was saying, uh, you know, if you if you don't have any experience with a role playing game, there might be a little bit of a of a hiccup just trying to, you know, gel with with the uh, the concepts that are that are that are presented. But it's all pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, and and in a game without. Again, I've learned recently making the second this the game this follow up game that making a game without spells is fifteen times hard, fifteen times easier than making a game with spells. So, but I found with lots of playtesting that just these handful of moves: combat, stealth, read person, stunt, investigate, manipulate, and then I have resist magic, which rarely gets used. But you know, just those like handful cover almost anything anyone's ever wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And uh, throughout all this playtesting, I was a little concerned about that. But it turns out almost anything you want to do is one of these things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nicole says, sounds great. We're adventurous. Can't wait. I'm hoping you will put out a YouTube video demonstrating a group setting up uh, and, and play, playing yeah. around. Yeah, I'd like to do that. In fact, Friday, I'm playing with some people in England and I, I'm I don't I can't stay up late. I'm up at like four or five in the morning. So. I can't game when a lot of people can, but I found if I game online with people in England, I can do it in the afternoon when they're right. like just finishing dinner. So I'm going to, if they're willing to record it, I might have one. I might have a recording of this uh, by the weekend even. Should be nice. Exciting. That's cool. We, uh, my buddy, Kevin, he's in the UK. So when we play, it's, you know, a little bit later than this normally. And it's like two in the morning for him. And he's like, Oh, eh, everybody's asleep by the time we get done. Then I just go to work. Eh, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, that's 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 rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. I'm getting up at two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I, I get up like four thirty two. You know, so it's it's rough. We get a late game night, and it's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, we we've got a volunteer here. Rebecca says she's uh she's wants to volunteer for a family oh, demo. <laughs> that'd be great. I'd like to meet Rebecca. <laughs> <clears throat> that's cool. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting um, that you you had a four player cap along with the with the grand mouser or the GM. Um, what what was the thought behind you know limiting that to just that? Four? You know, so a couple things. One is that there are four classes, and the, the game can be played one on one. Like I played many many times just with my wife, uh, and you're rolling four dice with uh, five or six as being successful means that you have an 80% chance of doing anything at any moment. So it's, it's a game that re rewards bravery and nutty plans. Um, and even a single mouse can like do a lot. These are elite troops here. These agents right. are elite mice. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there's a mechanic of help whereby for every uh, character helping, you get another die. Okay, so if you're engaged in combat, if it's the big boss battle at the end or whatever, if you've got four characters, you've got, let's say you've got a warrior who's using combat. The warrior gets plus one on combat. So they're rolling four dice, plus one die for because it's a warrior, plus four other dice because of the other mice helping. That's a nine die. I mean, that's a, almost a guaranteed success, right? Um, and so there's the helper mechanic, which makes more mice a little bit problematic because the mice are supposed to stay together anyway. And if they're always helping each other, it, it's a little silly. But the other thing is that with only three or uh, with only four classes, uh, it's just a little weird to have more than that. I, now I have just sort of hacked the game myself when I needed to add another player and I've had a player play the uh, familiar. So the, the shaman is one of the classes 
And it's sort of, it's the magical mouse, but all they can do is magical sight, which allows them to see the world as it really is, see through illusion, this kind of thing, and have a familiar, which is always a little insect. Um, so it can be a butterfly or a bee or something like that. And they can meditate and, and sort of look through the bee's eyes as it flies around. So one time, a couple times playing with my nephews, actually, I had my, I think he was like a seven-year-old at the time, play the familiar. So he got to buzz around and, you know, but uh, the cap is for those reasons. Okay. Well, that, that actually makes sense. Because I was looking at like, wow, you know, like no game ever survives contact with the players. So you're like, oh, we, you should play it this way. And I was like, mm, I don't know if people are going to do that. <laughs> you know, people could, I mean, I'm not, it's a, it's a rule, but it's just there to, it's there for the player's own protection. But if, you know, if, if it's, if it's a lot of like, uh, if you're playing a game with a lot of social interaction and it's more role-playing kind of thing, then have as many as you want. You know, like it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. It just messes up. It just messes up the math for the rolling. That's all. Sure, sure, sure. Because like, and, no matter how many people are fighting in a battle, for example, it's one roll. Right. You know, it's not like D and D where you've got like every person's hacking away at the monster, uh, where then there's really no limit to how many players you can do. So you know, you go to a convention, they just automatically assume you can have like 10, 10 characters playing in the game. You know. So when I play at conventions, you know, I say, sorry, I can only have four at my table. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. And I, I thought it was cool, um, you know, going through the book that there are uh, dice printed or will be printed on the pages of the book. So if you don't have dice, you could sort of thumb through and stop and, and yeah. choose a, a set of dice reading from left to right. Okay, well, you have four dice you know, take these first four numbers. I thought that was really, Isn't that cool. That was really clever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a game. Oh God. I can't remember the game. I got the idea from another game that had, it used all the polymorphic dice. It had all the different, and each page it had all the dice with a random number in it. And I thought that's kind of cool. But so now, yeah, for this game, you'll be able to flip through it and just go to random page. And there'll be a bunch of dice. What I did was I drew dice faces with a, a piece of software and made little uh, JPEGs, transparent JPEGs. And then I went on fiverr.com and I found some programmer and, India or something who would uh, permeate them for make 400 pages of randomizations of these things. <laughs> uh, and then I just donated them to Gallant Knight Games. I said, you know, go ahead, use these whenever you want. Cause they, they love D6 games with D6s, right? They're tiny, tiny yeah. D6 line. has. Right. I also, uh, we're getting back to artificial intelligence here. This is a funny story. I think it's a funny story, but um, I was also thinking, well, what if you, what if you just had a book? Like, what if you just have a, a book? So here's a book that's on my shelf. A mathematician reads the newspaper. If you open the book to a random page and you just point to a random word, it turns out if there's an A in the word, that's about the probability of getting a five or six on a D6. So you can also just use a regular book and just like uh, and and just point to uh, a word. And uh, and if you need six dice, you just look at that word in the next five. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I and this was figured out. I was putting this on Facebook. And I'm friends with a guy named Peter Norvig, who's one of the premier artificial intelligence researchers on Earth. Co-wrote Peter and uh, with Stuart Russell the the number one AI textbook ever made. Uh, and he actually just out of interest ran the math on a huge corpus he has at Google and uh, came up with these probabilities for me. So I think the the uh, one of the most famous AI people on Earth helped me make this game without knowing it. <laughs> we have any friends on Facebook? <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> anyway i put i put this on facebook i thought it was very clever the you know the a like looking for the a or whatever and you know somebody's like oh in germany we used we have dice rollers on our phones for that i'm like yeah of course you do 
Yeah. <laughs> There's something fun about flipping through a book though to get the dice. You know, it is. I, you know, I think I would almost rather do that than use, you know, like a dice roll around my phone. Right. I, there's nothing that beats dice. Right. I mean, buckets yeah, and buckets yeah. of dice. Right. Like, but, but I think, you know, flipping through the book, I, I like, that's just such an interesting, I'd never seen that before. It, it struck me as being really, really neat. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think it's fun. And, and also yeah. I don't like cell phones on the table. Like I, at, at a game True. and it's been a, it's been a bit of a problem, right? Like the, the, well, Let's let's be honest. Like cell phones being in people's hands and stealing attention all the time is a problem far that goes far beyond role playing games. <laughs> but you know, if it's getting slow or it's not your turn, it's just really tempting to get on your phone and start scrolling through Pinterest or you know uh, whatever. And I I hate it. You know, just get the phone out of here. Use use dice. Use use a book. Whatever. Just if you got your phone there for dice rolling, you're just tempted to check your you know. Facebook or whatever, or whatever yeah. <laughs> my, my ex used to leave the laptop on the table when we would play D and D, and you know she'd be doing Farmville while we were. Do- oh, is it my turn? Oh, okay, yeah. I'd yeah, but which this. edition of D and D was it? Because fourth. Yeah, so with fourth edition, if you've got more than five players, you got forty-five minutes before it's your turn anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as much as much as people hate on it, I I loved the resource management of it, right? Like, cause you had all the cards and stuff in front of you. It's like, all right, well, you know, do I want to do a repost strike or do I want to do a smashing blow or whatever? Like it, it, it led to interesting choices. It's a totally, um, it's a totally legit way to game. You know, it's, I'm glad it's out there. I don't want to say it's a bad way to game. I do think that it, it's slow. You're slowed way down when you've got sure. a bunch of players, but um you know, it, I think D and D is is still kind of true to its wargaming roots and its miniatures roots, which is a, it's like uh, resource management and tactical, and you're and you're working the rules to make things happen. And um, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's fun. You know, I I I like it. But um, this game is not that right. This game is a yeah, different. Yeah. So my game is different. You know, and uh, you know, if somebody wants to make a, a, a fifth edition version of uh, my scene council, let's talk. But um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's probably already thinking about it. There's a 5e hack for everything. Well, 5e is popular. We'll see how popular my game is. <laughs> that's the yeah. other. That's the other aspect of it. Hey, fully funded. So we're it, it's at least uh, as as you know popular as to as to see print, which is. Uh, uh, it's so nice to see that like there are you know 250 people who want to buy the game without without reading it. I mean, that's really, it's really encouraging. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just totally thrilled. Yep, hey, can I, I got some, to, right I got something to talk about if I sure. may, something I'm very proud of. So this is getting into urban fantasy. If you look at fantasy, those of you who read fantasy, you can have like um, obvious fantasy where everyone in the world knows that there's magic and it's sort of everywhere. And there's hidden, what I call hidden fantasy. So hidden fantasy is where most, you know, oh, it looks like our world, but there's hidden magic, right? So Harry Potter is hidden fantasy. Um, uh, you know, uh, the, the um, who's that Laurel, Laurel Hamilton, Laurel K. Hamilton. They're like vampires are out in the world. You know, uh, in uh, my friend, Anthony Francis writes a series, um, the Skin Dancer series, and it's it's urban fantasy, but it's it's obvious. So everyone knows that they're wizards and magic. But for every world that has hidden magic, they have to come up with some explanation for why it is. Oh, The Magicians by Lev Grossman is hidden magic system. And I don't find most of their descriptions very satisfying. So, you know, Harry Potter, like they have incredible magical powers and there are people dying of starvation and malaria. I mean, 
come on. Like the more yeah. the moral issues of being a wizard and hiding it is so great that I you know I have trouble with it. Um, you know, uh, they say though they get burned at the stake or whatever. But anyway, World of Darkness has wonderful, wonderful creative ways to hide it, right? So in the original werewolf, they had the veil where people would hallucinate that they saw something else, and vampires know they'd get killed, so they have to do it. And the the changelings had their own. Anyway, I came up with my own. So in this world of the mice, uh, there is something called a mundane backlash, and uh, this is uh, I don't I don't explain in the books where it comes from. I have an idea of where it comes from, but basically, if someone doesn't believe in magic, if they see something magical, then they can change the reality to be more like what they thought it was. So if there's a, let's say there's an ogre, like an ogre, like a big seven, 14 foot tall, hideous tusked ogre, uh, it knows there's a mundane backlash. So it like hides, it hides in the woods. And if anyone sees it, it could die. It could like literally vanish if somebody who really doesn't believe in magic sees it. Uh, but the other thing that happens is it can be changed to what they thought it must have been. So let's say you've got a demonic cat. I was talking about a demonic cat earlier. Let's say it's got like little horns on its head and red fiery eyes and big claws and it's a little too big. I mean like a um, regular cat. <laughs> <laughs> so if you see if you see one of these things and you don't believe in magic, you might think, oh my God, what would you think it was? Maybe somebody put maybe somebody put some like fake horns on a cat. Uh maybe it was uh maybe it wasn't quite as big as you thought it was. That interpretation can actually physically change the demon to look like it has fake horns. So in the in the world, I call it the quadrant world, it, there are like people walking around that look like they have rubber masks on. These are actually fairies and demons that have been backlashed so many times that they look like they're wearing a rubber mask. And now they don't cause a backlash. They just look like somebody in costume. But it also, because this is well known in the in the in the magical world, it gives all these creatures a strong incentive to not ever be seen by somebody who doesn't believe in magic. It also incentivizes them to get people to believe in magic because the more people believe in magic, the less backlash there is. And the people who are trying to protect humanity know that the backlash is a major way to protect them. So they are actually saying there is no magic, even though they know better. So yeah. uh, I think it's a fun narrative mechanic that I use in the fiction and stuff to, to, you know, uh, it explains why, but it also has these interesting ramifications of, of how magical beings are going to act. Like if you cast a spell in front of a crowd of people, you could get seriously hurt. Uh, you know, if you're fly, if you cast a spell and you fly over the sky, if somebody sees you, you could just drop out of the sky because someone figures you yeah. must have been hurled from a catapult, and it becomes real. So that's something I really like about it. And and it's an interesting twist because usually it's the other way around, right? Like, so if you don't believe in magic, then you you know you see that ogre and you're like, oh, you know, your brain just won't process it, right? Like you almost don't even see it, like, oh, it was a tree or. You know, so it goes in the other way where you're like you're, you know, you're willfully almost ignoring the thing that you're actually seeing because you don't expect to see that thing there. So it's an interesting twist. Yeah, now. right. And and you know, um, and in my in my next my next game, right, where you can play bird, humans and birds and stuff that are wizards. You know, if you talk to somebody about what you, the horrors you've seen, you might if they believe you, they're actually at risk because there are monsters who can detect whether you believe or not. And, you know, if you suddenly believe in magic, a monster might show up at your door and start taking advantage of you. Like they, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you can't tell anybody or else you're going to put them in danger. You know, I think it's a very insidious, horrific, uh, psychological twist on things. 
Yeah, no, I like that. And and the new game you said it's going to be compatible. Is it going to use sort of the same base system? Oh God, no! It's not compatible at all. It's it's, oh, it's the not same. Okay. It's the same, same world. world. Yeah. Okay. So it's like uh, the Middle Earth role playing and the One Ring. They're not compatible, mm-hmm. but they're about yeah, Middle yeah. Earth. So, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, but but no, this this game is uh, it's called Beaks, Wings, and Magical Things, and you can play uh, wizards and wizard birds and wizard humans and everything. Um, and you have, there's a whole spell mechanic and. Um, yeah, it's it's more crunchy. It has to be, um, and it's for different kinds of stories. <clears throat> okay, cool. And uh, let me grab the uh, artist's name here. I don't want to mispronounce. Nick Giacondino. There you go. Nicolas Giacondino. Yeah, very cute art. Um, very uh, emblematic of of the theme. Uh, I'm on the Kickstarter page. The uh, yeah. the the evil crow necromancer. Raising his his uh, undead rat. <laughs> it's just, it's such a great piece. Um, He's so great. I uh, he was busy for a while, and I was like looking at other artists, I'm like no, no, no. And Alan said, "Look, if you really want Nick, you can have Nick." It's just going to take longer. I'm like, I want Nick. And so uh, I think he did a fabulous job. And he's illustrated a couple of Gallant Knight games games before. And uh, I think he's great. Um, but that that crow necromancer, this is one of the fun things about having a world with animals is that um, you might encounter a ghost, but it might be a ghost of a chipmunk. Yeah. Right. There are undead, but it might be the un, an undead uh, duck or a squirrel or something. <laughs> it's just kind yeah. of a fun, a fun twist on uh you know, when you think of ghosts, you usually think of human ghosts, but why not rattlesnake ghosts? Why not, uh, you know, dick dick and ostrich ghosts or whatever? Right. Well, you can you can have them in my world, but if they show up, they might get killed by the mundane backlash. So be careful. We got another question from Rebecca here. Ah, uh, yes. So about ages. So I've played it successfully with people as young as seven. I think the game master should probably be 14 older but i've played it with lots of little kids and they're good at it i mean this kind of thing you know um yeah if they can understand the rescuers they can they can play this game sure but but game game mastering a game it just takes a little it's a little bit more intellectually involved so uh i i think 14 is decent unless they're very precocious right and and you do have some examples in the book too um, you know, paragraph or two of, you know, what a typical adventure, uh, you know, should look like. So it, it gives, you know, um, you know, a jump in, you know, right. for someone to go, okay, oh, these are how these adventures are designed for, you know, for this game. And it, and it's, you know, obviously not super complicated. So it's, you know, it gives a good, good guideposts to. Right. And you know. I, I'll like, I can explain what it's typically like. So um, you're typically starting off at the Mycenaean Council headquarters and you hear, from some animal that there's a kid in danger. You have to get to the location, figure out what the problem is and resolve it, right? So it's usually finding a fairy or um, finding a demon. You have a couple magical items like magical dust that'll make things be revealed or acorn traps to trap spirits or whatever. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it can be done in about an hour and a half. Um, more complicated stuff is totally possible. But um, another thing I'm proud of is in the book is that uh, I have sample adventures but they're of increasing complexity. So because the world is complex, I like complex worlds, um, it starts off with just basically that, like there's a monster in a kid's house, go fly on a bird and get there and kill it, right? Uh, And you give the players enough information to be able to, about the world, to be able to do that adventure. And then I suggest you stay at that level until 
you feel that they're ready for a little bit more richness. For a little kid, that might take a long time. Might take till they get a little bit older. For adults, it might be the next game session. And then I tell them a little bit more about the world. And then I have another sample adventure that takes advantage of the knowledge, right? So I have, I think I have like three or four, uh, I can't really remember, um, sample adventures that are of increasing depth into the world to sort of scaffold the players to uh, get used to it over time. So you don't have to read a huge book of lore to know what the hell, you know, uh, which is a, a problem I find with like White Wolf games or whatever, you know, I played a, a vampire uh Vampire the Masquerade of uh, 20th ed edition and it, with some guys on uh, Discord, some people on Discord. And they said, well, you got to read the whole 600 page book and your clan <laughs> book. Just be to start. Like, yeah, OK. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think they redid all of their lore with the 20th with the 20th edition. Right. I, I think they changed a lot of the original. Uh, it's less apocalyptic. Like the original World of Darkness, I think, ended actually like that. So, yeah, they, they, they made it. Darkness and, yeah. Well, then there's the new, but yes, there's like four of them now. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> but you got to make money. I mean, this is the thing about role-playing. I mean, I, I, you know, we can scoff at this stuff, but like these game companies, you know, the thing about a role-playing game is you can buy one role-playing game for 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 60 bucks and play it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And the company gets no more money out of it. So, you know, do, can we blame them for putting out endless supplements and, uh, and new versions and whatever? You can still play the old one. Go ahead. But uh, yeah, and, you know, they got to make money. So that's what I tell myself when I'm spending too much money on drive through RPG, <laughs> uh, filling my uh, filling my hard drive with games I'll never play is that, uh, you know, I'm supporting something I think is really great. That's, you know, not easy to make money on. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Well, and, and that's the thing, right? I mean, it, it is, you know, you, you sell one GM's guide, you know, maybe two players handbooks for a table and, you know, the money really comes mm -hmm. in all the supplements and all the adventures and, and the stuff that supports you know, the, the, the base, the core game. Um, Cause it's, you know, if you're not Watsi or Chaosium or um, um, Shane Hensley's uh, the Savage Worlds uh, Pinnacle mm -hmm. Entertainment, like there's, there's just not a ton of money in it. Right. Yeah, like, but even, even Dungeons and Dragons is a tiny slice of Watsi. And, and like, I, I don't, I think it's barely making enough money to, to justify its existence. Like this is not a high income, Field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, sure. I'm I'm lucky enough to have a day job. You know, it's you know, Alan's doing it full time. Like my publisher yeah. is, he's a full time game designer. So, you know, hats off to him. Like he's he's he gave up a job to do his art full time, and uh, you know, I I I don't know what he's making, but it, it's it's a tough market. So I I have a lot of respect for him. It, it, it's a tough road to hoe for sure. Um, but, you know, you, you do the thing that you love, right? And you hope that, that people, you know, respond to it and they react to it. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're all here on, on Legends all about, you know, supporting indie creators and trying to get indie voices out and, uh, you know, play, play something that. other than D&D. You know, play things that go squeak in the night, you know, play. Things that go squeak in the night, yeah. You know, Chord, you know, all these other games, you know, there, there's such a huge variety of games out there weird you know weird little indie things for mm. for all different kind of you know niches you know there there's a game for everybody out there to be played uh and, and you know dnd god bless it like you know it's the thing that brings a lot of people in and and has yeah. for you know 30 or 40 years or however long it's been but and, like, and given how complicated it is it's surprising it's actually surprising to me that it's so many people's first game because it is not a simple game 
you know, like you the- know, it's, I, you know, maybe I'm an old man, right? So like I, I see people post like, ah, oh, you know, fifth is so co- complicated. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, oh, well, you, compared to it's old. Did one. you see fourth, <laughs> you know, if you played yeah. like. <laughs> or even even first edition ADD. But yeah, I mean, it's it's neat. It's interesting that, the, that they still play it. But I mean, also having designed games, uh, I see why er, uh, medieval fantasy is so good for this because. Um, well, for the mice, it's it, for the mice. It actually works because you're little mice killing monsters, and there's no problem. But if you're playing a human in urban fantasy, like the, violence is very difficult to do. Like you know, government has a monopoly on violence. You can't just kill somebody for being a cultist or whatever it is. Um, so, th- so it ends up being a lot of like for uh, Call of Cthulhu and other like modernish games. It ends up being very investigative, and you can't really have a crawl through a dungeon where you're just like hacking things the whole time. So yeah. the, the very lawlessness of your typical medieval fantasy really affords adventures that are hard to do in a setting that's at all realistic because the world's actually pretty peaceful now, you know. Uh, you can't, go, you can't go around killing people uh, with no yeah. consequences, even if they're bad people. All right, we got a question. Yep. I'll get it up on the screen. You mean an actual die? Like a a, a physical die? die? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Yep. So I, we discussed this. So the publisher and I discussed this, and uh, we were thinking of making it a stretch goal, but um, uh, apparently uh, custom dice aren't selling quite as well as they used to. I think it's something about uh, 10 years old now, or, or 10, year, 10 years ago it was kind of a big thing, but um, maybe people have enough dice. I know I, I do. I have a whole jar of dice. That, <laughs> these aren't even the dice I use. These are, uh, these are my dice that aren't in my dice bag but yes <laughs> yeah. i thought it would be kind of cool uh right now i'm happy with the stretch goals you know hardcover a little ribbon um uh, uh i think i think that's great well and you know you know being industry adjacent you know as, as a podcast like i like to see those sorts of things that put quality back in the book not necessarily like give me 400 things that are going to cost you a fortune. So you don't make any money. Give me better paper. Give me a hardcover. Give, you know, full color illustrations, pay yourself more money, right? Like for me, those are the things that, that add value, not only to, you know, the product, but to, to give back to the creator to be like, you know what, I'm going to pay the artist more money. I'm going to, I'm going to pay myself a little bit more money because this is a lot of work, you know? And and I have to say, like, I'm so glad it got funded because because of COVID, there's a worldwide paper shortage. And if um, this was a non-COVID time, the the goal to just get the soft cover would have been the hardcover stretch goal. Yeah. But it's just, you know, things are, it's in some ways not a great time to be trying to uh, get a role-playing game published because just paying for paper you know, it's, yeah, it's hard right now, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> everything's crazy so right now. It makes me extra happy that it's funded. Yeah. So yeah, I do sure, have to sure. go. I do have to go in like uh, in like two minutes. Oh, all right. Well, then we'll wrap things up then. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to plug, mention, anything that we missed? Uh, check out the Kickstarter page. I'm sure it'll be uh, in your show notes there. Thanks and um, show notes. If you want to read fiction, there's it's read it's free online. Eve Pixie Drowner and the Mycene Council at Altered Reality Magazine. Uh, it's um, linked to from the Kickstarter. And I want to thank everybody who uh, is excited about the game. If you know anybody who might want to play it, uh, send them the Kickstarter or buy it and give it to them for a present. 
the game will be published and uh, probably next year, around April to July or something like that. Nice. Thanks That's a lot, awesome. John. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, there are nine days left as of today. So you want to get in there and get your pledges in now. Uh, I will uh, rip this audio and hopefully get this posted as an MP3 tomorrow. So it'll be available on our podcast feed as well. Um, uh, if you need to jump out, I will let you go and then I will do our post show wrap up. Oh, that sounds great. Yes. Uh, so spread the word. Uh, if you do, everyone will get a hardcover book. So uh, I would love to see it in hardcover. Thanks, everybody, and thank you, John. All right. Thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure to have you on. All right. I thank everybody for stopping by and checking this out. We do have coffee for sale. Our own GM Neal has his own coffee company. It's uh, Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. We sell our own uh, legendary brew. It's a nice, easy-drinking medium roast. He is a small-batch craft coffee roaster. What that means is that the coffee is roasted fresh, sent out to you as fresh as can be. It's not sitting around stored somewhere. Uh, the uh, link for the legendary brew is in the show notes, or you can hit tinyurl.com forward slash legendary brew. It's the only thing I keep in my house. It is my favorite coffee, and not just because it's branded with the show, but it's also really good. If you use the code LEGENDS10, you'll get 10% off your order, and shipping is always free. We have a Patreon as well if you want to support us there. I actually prefer that you support our creators. We record for spite. We're doing this for fun. Um, please go out and support the people that we have on the show. Um, I think that's it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for checking it out, and we'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.